Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our Course in Miracles daily reading conference call. We read from the text of A Course in Miracles original edition, which is published by our dear friends at the Course in Miracles Society. You can access an online copy of the original edition by going to jcim.net, or if you mouse over the link at top for online edition, you'll see the link to read A Course in Miracles OE. On that same webpage, there's a tab entitled Lesson Sign-Up. And if you don't receive it, uh, sign up there, and you'll receive an excellent daily email that contains the reading for the day as well as the lesson for the day. My name is Lori Cameron. This call is Monday through Friday from around 9.15 a.m. until about 11 a.m. Eastern. And today we continue our reading of Chapter 2, The Illusion of Separation, with Section 2, The Reinterpretation of Defenses half of which we read yesterday, and today we'll complete with paragraphs 36 through 51. We're also mindful of our lesson today, Lesson 17, I See No Neutral Things. And by way of opening this morning, just a tiny little expression from Pierre Pratervand in his book 365 Lessons to Heal Myself and the World. It goes like this. Mary Baker Eddy once wrote that infinite mind creates and governs all from the mental molecule to infinity, which resonates with Jesus' statement that even the hairs on our head are numbered. If the universe is totally and perfectly governed by the law of unconditional love, despite all that our senses scream to the contrary, then everything in our lives has meaning. Total and unconditional love governs the world. Amen. Thank you. That was beautiful. Love that. That was beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Despite all that our senses scream to the contrary, uh, the very essence of what we're reading today. So thanks. I was really happy to find that. Okay, here's our reading list today. We have Diana, Jessica, Donna, and Karen. We're joined in listening this morning by Ida, Robin, Marie, and Judy. Uh, Lemoyne is involved with... um, his father this morning who's undergoing surgery and Fran anticipates return sometime this week so in the meantime if anyone would like to um, consider leading our reflection on the lesson at the top of the hour um, after we complete our reading that would be most welcome so here we go in chapter 2 the illusion of separation in section 2 the reinterpretation of defenses We will begin at paragraph 36, but I would like to, for the sake of continuity, include just this from paragraph 18. When you are afraid of anything, you are acknowledging its power to hurt you. Remember that where your heart is, there is your treasure also. This means that you believe in what you value. If you are afraid, you are valuing wrongly. And beginning today with paragraph 36. 
the atonement is the only defense which cannot be used destructively that is because while everyone must eventually join it it is not a device which was generated by man the atonement principle was in effect long before the atonement itself began the principle was love and the atonement itself was an act of love acts were not necessary before the separation because the time-space belief did not exist it was only after the separation that the defense of atonement and the necessary conditions for its fulfillment were planned Diana chapter 36 the atonement is the only defense which cannot be used destructively that is because while everyone must eventually join it it is not a device which was generated by man the atonement principle was in effect long before the atonement itself began the principle was loved and the atonement itself was an act of love X were not necessarily before the separation because the time-space belief did not exist it was only after the separation that the defense of atonement and the necessary conditions for its fulfillment were planned 37 it became increasingly apparent that all of the defenses which man can choose to use constructively or destructively were not enough to save him it was therefore decided that he needed a defense which was so splendid that he could not misuse it although he could refuse it the choice could not however turn into a weapon of attack which is the inherent characteristics of all other defenses the the atonement thus becomes the only defense which is not a two-edged sword thank you thank you Diana and Jessica thanks Laurie Uh, paragraph 37 it became increasingly apparent that all of the defenses which man can choose to use constructively or destructively were not enough to save him it was therefore decided that he needed a defense which was so splendid that he could not misuse it although he could refuse it his choice could not however turn it into a weapon of attack which is the inherent characteristic of all other defenses the atonement thus became the only defense which is not a two-edged sword 38 the atonement actually began long before the crucifixion many souls offered their efforts on behalf of the separated ones but they could not withstand the strength of the attack and had to be brought back angels came too but their protection did not suffice because the separated ones were not interested in peace they had already split their minds and were bent on further dividing rather than reintegrating 
the levels they introduced into their minds turned against each other. And they established differences, divisions, cleavages, dispersions, and all the other concepts related to the increasing splits which they produce. Thank you, Jessica. And Donna. Thirty-eight. The atonement actually began long before the crucifixion. Many souls offered their efforts on behalf of the separated ones, but they could not withstand the strength of the attack and had to be brought back. Angels came too, but their protection did not suffice because the separated ones were not interested in peace. They had already split their minds and were bent on further dividing rather than reintegrating. The levels they introduced into their minds turned against each other, and they established differences, divisions, cleavages, dispersions, and all the other concepts related to the increasing splits which they produced. 39. Not being in their right minds, they turned their defenses from from protection to assault, and they acted literally insane. It was essential to introduce a split-proof device which could be used only to heal, if it were used at all. The atonement was built into the time, into the space, time, belief, in order to set a limit on the need for the belief and ultimately to make learning complete. The atonement is the final lesson. Learning itself, like the classrooms in which it occurs, is temporary. The ability to learn has no value when change change of understanding is no longer necessary. The eternally creative have nothing to learn. Only after the separation was it necessary to direct the creative forces to learning because changed behavior had become mandatory. Thank you, Donna. And Karen. 39. Not being in their right minds, they turned their defenses from protection to assault and acted literally insane. It was essential to introduce a split-proof device which could be used only to heal, if it were used at all. The atonement was built into the space-time belief in order to set a limit on the need for the belief and ultimately to make learning complete. The atonement is the final lesson. Learning itself, like like the classrooms in which it occurs, is temporary. 
The ability to learn has no value when change of understanding is no longer necessary. The eternally creative have nothing to learn. Only after the separation was it necessary to direct the creative forces to learning because change behavior had become mandatory. 40. Men can learn to improve their behavior and can also learn to become better and better learners. This serves to bring them into closer and closer accord with the sonship. But the sonship itself is a perfect creation, and perfection is not a matter of degree. Only while there are different degrees is learning meaningful. The quote-unquote evolution of man is merely a process by which he proceeds from one degree to the next. He corrects his previous missteps by stepping forward. This represents a process which is actually incomprehensible in temporal terms because he returns as he goes forward. Thank you, Karen. And would there be a new reader for 40 and 41? I could do that. Thanks, Robin Marie. <laughs> 40. Men can learn to improve their behavior and can also learn to become better and better learners. This serves to bring them into closer and closer accord with the sonship. But the sonship, sonship itself is a perfect creation, and perfe perfection is not a matter of degree. Only while there are different degrees is learning meaningful. The quote-unquote evolution of man is merely a process by which he proceeds from one degree to the next. He corrects his previous missteps by stepping forward. This represents a process which is actually incomprehensible in temporal terms because he returns as he goes forward. 41. The atonement is the device by which he can free himself from the past as he goes ahead. It undoes his past errors, thus making it unnecessary for him to keep retracing his steps without advancing to his return. In this sense, the atonement saves time, but like the miracle which serves it, does not abolish it. As long as there is need for atonement, there is need for time. But the atonement as a completed plan does have a unique relationship to time. Until the atonement is finished, its various phases will proceed in time, but the whole atonement stands at time's end. At this point, the bridge of the return has been built. Thank you, Robin Marie. And is there another new reader for 41 and 42? Uh, this is Lemoyne. I could, I'd like to. Do oh, hi, Lemoyne. Yay! Thanks. 
maybe. <laughs> okay, 41. The atonement is the device by which he can free himself from the past as he goes ahead. It undoes the past, undoes his past errors, thus making it unnecessary for him to keep retracing his steps without advancing to his return. In this sense, the atonement saves time, but like the miracle which serves it, it does not abolish it. As long as there is need for atonement, there is need for time. But the atonement as a completed plan does have a unique relationship to time. Until the atonement is finished, its various phases will proceed in time, but the whole atonement stands at time's end. At this point, the bridge of the return has been built. The atonement is a total commitment. You still think this is associated with loss. This is the same mistake all the separated ones make in one way or another. They cannot believe that a defense which cannot attack is the best defense. This is what is meant by the meek shall inherit the earth. They will literally take it over because of their strength. A two-way defense is inherently weak precisely because it has two edges and can turn against the self very unexpectedly. <clears throat> this tendency cannot be controlled except by miracle. Thank you, Lemoyne. And is there another new reader for 42 and 43? 42 and 43? That's it, Judy. Thanks. Thank you, Lori. The atonement is a total commitment. You still think this is associated with loss. This is the same mistake all that separated ones make in one way or another, they cannot believe that a defense which cannot attack is the best defense. This is what is meant by, quote, the meek shall inherit the earth, unquote. They will literally take it over because of their strength. A two-way defense is inherently weak precisely because it has two edges and can turn against the self very unexpectedly. This tendency cannot be controlled except by miracles. The miracle turns the defense of atonement to the protection of the inner self, which, as it becomes more and more secure, assumes its natural talent of protecting others. The inner self knows itself as both a brother and a son, son with a capital S. You know that when defenses are disrupted, there is a period of real disorientation. There is a period of real disorientation accompanied by fear, 
guilt, and usually vacillations between anxiety and depression. This course is different in that defenses are not being disrupted but reinterpreted, even though you may experience it as the same thing. In the reinterpretation of defenses, only their use for attack is lost, since this means they can be used only one way. They become much stronger and much more dependable. They no longer oppose the atonement, but greatly facilitate it. Love it. Thank you. Thank you, Judy. And is there another new reader then for 43 and 44? Forty-three and forty-four. Okay, Diana, that would be you. Forty-three and forty-four. Okay, forty-three. The miracle turns the defenses of atonement to the protection of the inner self, which, as it becomes more and more secure, assumes its natural talent of protecting others. The inner self knows itself as both a brother and a son. And you know that when defenses are disrupted, there is a period of real disorientation accompanied by fear, guilt, and usually vacillations between anxiety and depression. This course is different in that defenses are not being disrupted just um, by reinterpreted, but reinterpreted, even though you may experience it as the same thing. In the reinterpretation of defenses, only their use for attack is lost. Senses means that they can be used only one way. They become much stronger and much more dependable. They no longer oppose the atonement, but greatly facilitate it. 44. The atonement can only be accepted within you. You have perceived it largely and as external thus far, uh, and that is why your experience of it has been minimal. The reinterpretation of defenses is essential in releasing the inner light. Since the separation, man's defenses have been almost entirely so defined. Let me repeat that, please. Since the separation, man's defenses have been used almost entirely to defend himself against the atonement and thus maintain the separation. They themselves generally see this as a need to protect the body. The many body fantasies with which man's minds are engaged arise from the distorted belief that the body can be used as a means for attaining atonement. Thank you. 
Thank you, Diana. And Jessica. Thank you, Lori. <clears throat> 44. The atonement can only be accepted within you. You have perceived it largely as external thus far, and that is why your experience of it has been minimal. The reinterpretation of defenses is essential in releasing the inner light. Since the separation, man's defenses have been used almost entirely to defend himself against the atonement and thus maintain the separation. They themselves generally see this as a need to protect the body. The many body fantasies which men's minds are engaged Sorry, the many body fantasies with which men's minds are engaged arise from the distorted belief that the body can be used as a means for attaining atonement. 45. Perceiving the body as a temple is only the first step in correcting this kind of distortion. It alters part of the misconception, misperception but not all of it. It does recognize, however, that the concept of atonement in physical terms is not appropriate. However, the next step is to realize that a temple is not a building at all. Its real holiness lies in the inner altar around which the building is built. The, the inappropriate emphasis men have put on beautiful church buildings is a sign of their fear of atonement and their unwillingness to reach the altar itself. The real beauty of the temple cannot be seen with the physical eye. The spiritual eye, on the other hand, cannot see the building at all because it has perfect sight. It can, however, see the altar with perfect clarity. Thank you, Jessica. And Donna. Forty-five. Perceiving the body as a temple is only the first step in correcting this kind of distortion. It alters part of the misperception, but not all of it. It does recognize, however, that the concept of atonement in physical terms is not appropriate. However, the next step is to realize that the temple is not a building at all. Its real holiness in in the inner altar Its real holiness lies in the inner altar around which the building is built. The inappropriate emphasis men have put on beautiful church buildings is a sign of their fear of atonement and their unwillingness to reach the altar itself. The real beauty of the temple cannot be seen with the physical eye. The spiritual eye, on the other hand, cannot see the building at all because it has perfect sight. 
You can, however, see the altar with perfect clarity. 46. The perfect effectiveness of the atonement belongs at the center belongs at the center of the inner altar where it undoes the separation and restores the wholeness of the mind. Before the separation, the mind was invulnerable to fear because fear did not exist. Both the separation and the fear are miscreations of the mind which must be undone. This is what is meant by, quote, the restoration of the temple, end quote. It does not mean the restoration of the building, but the opening of the altar to receive the atonement. This heals the separation and places within man the one defense against all separation mind errors, which can make him perfectly invulnerable. Thank you, Donna. And Karen. 46. For perfect effectiveness, the atonement belongs at the center of the inner altar, where it undoes the separation and restores the wholeness of the mind. Before the separation, the mind was invulnerable to fear because fear did not exist. Both the separation and the fear are miscreations of the mind, which must be undone. This is what is meant by, quote, the restoration of the temple, unquote. It does not mean the restoration of the building, but the opening of the altar to receive the atonement. This heals the separation and places within man the one defense against all separation mind errors, which can make him perfectly invulnerable. 47. The acceptance of the atonement by everyone is only a matter of time. In fact, both time and matter were created for this purpose. This appears to contradict free will because of the inevitability of the final decision. If you review the idea carefully, however, you will realize that this is not true. Everything is limited in some way by the manner of its creation. Free will can temporize and is capable of enormous procrastination but it cannot depart entirely from its creator who sees, who set the limits on its ability to miscreate by virtue of its own real purpose. Thank you, Karen. And Robin Marie, are you able to read again 47 and 48? Yep. 47, <laughs> the, accept the acceptance of the atonement by everyone is only a matter of time. In fact, both time and matter were created for this purpose. This appears to contradict free will because of the inevitability of the final decision. 
If you review the idea carefully, however, you will realize that this is not true. Everything is limited in some way by the manner of its creation. Free will can temporize and is capable of enormous procrastination, but it cannot depart entirely from its creator, who set the limits on its ability to miscreate by virtue of its own real purpose. 48. The misuse of will engenders a situation which in the extreme becomes altogether intolerable. Pain thresholds can be high, but they are not limitless. Eventually, everyone begins to recognize, however dimly, that there must be a better way. As this recognition becomes more firmly established, it becomes a perceptual turning point. This ultimately reawakens the spiritual eye, simultaneously weakening the investment in physical sight. The alternating investment in the two types or levels of perception is usually experienced as conflict for a long time and becomes very acute, but the outcome is as certain as God. Thank you, Robin Marie. And Lemoyne? Okay. Uh, 48. The misuse of will engenders a situation in which the extreme becomes altogether intolerable. Pain thresholds can be high, but they are not limitless. Eventually, everyone begins to recognize, however dimly, that there must be a better way. As this recognition becomes more firmly established, it becomes a perceptual turning point. This ultimately reawakens the spiritual eye, simultaneously weakening the investment in physical sight. The alternating investment in the two types or levels of perception is usually experienced as conflict for a long time and can become very acute, but the outcome is as certain as God. The spiritual eye literally cannot see error and merely looks for atonement. All the solutions which the physical eyes seek and dissolve in its sight. The spiritual eye, which looks within, recognizes immediately that the altar has been defiled and needs to be repaired and protected. Perfectly aware of the right defense, it passes over all others, looking past error to truth. Because of the real strength of its vision, it pulls the will into its service and impels the mind to to concur. This reestablishes the true power of the will and makes it increasingly unable to tolerate delay. 
The mind then realizes with increasing certainty that delay is only a way of increasing unnecessary pain, which it need not tolerate at all. The pain threshold drops accordingly, and the mind becomes increasingly sensitive to what it once would have regarded as very minor intrusions of discomfort. I think you're on mute. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Judy, are you able to read again 49 and 50? It was. Yes, I'm ready. Thank you, dear. Spiritual eye, the spiritual eye, literally cannot see error and merely looks for atonement. All the solutions which the physical eyes seek dissolve in its sight. The spiritual eye, which looks within, recognizes immediately that the altar has been defiled and needs to be repaired and protected. Perfectly aware of the right defense, it passes over all others, looking past error to truth. Because of the real strength of its vision, it pulls the will into its service, impels the mind to concur, and impels the mind to concur. This reestablishes the true power of the will and makes it increasingly unable to tolerate delay. The mind then realizes with increasing certainty that delay is only a way of increasing unnecessary excuse me unnecessary pain which it need not tolerate at all the pain threshold drops accordingly and the mind becomes increasingly sensitive to what it once would have regarded as very minor intrusions of discomfort the children of god are entitled to perfect comfort, which comes from a sense of perfect trust. Until they achieve this, they waste themselves and their true creative powers on useless attempts to make themselves more comfortable by inappropriate means. But the real means is already provided and does not involve any effort at all on their part. Their egocentricity usually misperceives this as personally insulting, an interpretation which obviously arises from their misperception of themselves. Egocentricity and communion cannot coexist. Even the terms are contradictory. Wow. (laughs) Thank you, Judy. 
Um, let's see, would there be another new reader then for 50 and 51? 50 and 51? Okay, Diana, back to you. 50. The children of God are entitled to perfect comfort, which comes from a sense of perfect trust. Until they achieve this, they waste themselves and their true creative powers on useless attempts to make themselves more comfortable by inappropriate means. But the real means is already provided and does not involve any effort at all on their part. Their egocentricity usually misperceives this as personally insulting as interpretation by um, uh, an interpretation which obviously arises from their misperception of themselves. Egocentricity and communion cannot coexist. Even the terms are contradictory. 51. The atonement is the only gift that is worthy of being offered to the altar of God. This is because of the inestimable thank you, inestimable value of the altar itself. It was created perfect and is entirely worthy of receiving perfection. God is lonely without his souls, and they are lonely without him. Men must learn to perceive the world as a means of healing the separation. The atonement is a guarantee that they will ultimately succeed. Thank you. Thank you, Diana. And Jessica. Thank you. Okay, paragraph 51. The, oh, wait a minute. Is that where we are? Yeah, right? 51? Yeah. Yes, that is correct. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. The atonement is the only gift that is worthy of being offered to the altar of God. This is because the inestimable value of the altar, this is because of the inestimable value of the altar itself. It was created perfect and is entirely worthy of receiving perfection. God is lonely without his souls, and they are lonely without him. Men must learn to perceive the world as a means of healing the separation. The atonement is the guarantee that they will ultimately succeed. Amen. Indeed, amen. And uh, we read past the top of the hour. Uh, So, speaking of that perceptual turning point, um, let's look at our lesson today. Lesson 17, I see no neutral things. Has anyone considered volunteering for uh, leading our reflection this morning?
volunteer for the lesson? Anyone? I'll do it, Karen. Thank you, thank you, Karen. You take all the time you need. Lesson 17, I see no neutral things. This idea is another step in the direction of identifying cause and effect as it really operates. You see no neutral things because you have no neutral thoughts. It is always the thought that comes first, despite the temptation to believe that it is really the other way around. This is not the world the way the world thinks, but you must learn that it is the way you think. If it were not so, perception would have no cause and would itself be the cause of reality. If it were not so, perception would have no cause and would itself be the cause of reality. In applying today's idea, say to yourself with eyes open, I see no neutral things because I have no neutral thoughts. I do not see a neutral blank because my thoughts about blank are not neutral. For example, I do not see a neutral wall because my thoughts about walls are not neutral. I do not see a neutral body because my thoughts about bodies are not neutral. Make no distinction between what you believe to be animate or inanimate, pleasant or unpleasant. You do not see anything which is really alive and really joyous. Because you are unaware as yet of any thoughts which are really true and therefore really happy. Review. I see no neutral things. What I see witnesses to what I think. If I did not think, I would not exist. Because life is thought. Let me look on the world I see as the representation of my own state of mind. I know that my state of mind can change. And so I also know the world I see and change as well. I see no neutral things.
I see no neutral things. The floor is open. Amen. Thank you, Karen. I loved all that you picked out to highlight that. It's perfect. Thank you. Do you have thoughts about that, Karen? Thoughts about the lesson? Um, yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you did. Well, we already did it this morning earlier, but um, I'm just... Give me a second. Someone else can share first, if that's okay. Okay. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Oh, no, I got it. Men must learn to perceive the world as a means of healing the separation. Men must learn to perceive the world as a means of healing the separation. The way we see the world is through the ego mind the way we've been conditioned and everything that I look at has a a stream of interpretations behind it. Memories and feelings and I can't see without all of that ego uh, labeling and all of that those ego associations. Um, the reason we're in this world is to go back to pure vision, to Christ, to not being in the mind of separation. And in the deconstruction process, um, I see no neutral thing because I have no neutral thoughts. And thought, thought is producing what I see. I think that's it. I'm complete. Thank you, Karen. Thank you very much. I hope I'm off mute uh, because I really love that share. Thank you for it. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Karen. Yeah, this is Lemoyne. That's perfect, I think. That men must learn to view the world, the purpose of the world is healing the separation. And I'm over here like, what? You mean it's not about proving the separation? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Uh, the line from the lesson that, you know, always the thought that comes first despite the temptation to believe it's really the other way around this is not the way the world thinks so we have to learn the way we think if it were not so perception would have no cause and would itself be the cause of reality in view of its highly variable and seemingly conflicting nature this is hardly like 
Yeah, you kind of faded away there, Lemoyne. Well, it's just, uh, yeah, our perception on which we build a world, worldview um, that becomes our world is, is so variable and disparate among the separated ones that it just can't be true. <laughs> it's hardly likely that everyone's right in their own personal separate perception. So, you know, this points somewhat points ahead at all those lessons where it's like, uh, you know, I need to see, I really want to see, above all else, I'm going to see, <laughs> you know, that there is another way of looking. And, uh, yeah, it's not found in the uh, dots of comparison and conflict. <clears throat> Although, you know, they can be used to signpost that we need to look a little further, look beyond the, the individual perception to really see what is real because it's always there. Well, Hello. Thanks for being here. I'm. I have. Yeah. Thank you, Lemoyne. Thank you for that share. Thank you, Lemoyne. Yeah. Was mine just turning? Just had notice. Oh uh, well. Gl- yeah. Anyway. I'm glad you showed up, Lemoyne. <laughs> this is Donna. All I can say about this reading is, wow. <clears throat> I, uh, except I'll have something else to say. But the first thing was that I, 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 underst- I understand why I'm unable to understand uh, the, in this class. And I call it a class because I'm learning. And it is because of the order and it is because that that we read uh, every paragraph twice. And I finally just realized that it allows my my mind uh, to catch up, so to speak. So, <clears throat> and this 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 lesson today, unfortunately, I have to leave here about ten thirty. So, uh, paragraph thirty six tells us that time and space are just a belief that denies eternity. And paragraph 37, I've been waiting to find that one again because I wanted to say, did I really read that in the course? That souls, that apparently many highly enlightened souls and angels had to retreat from the world because I'm presuming the sleeper's mind was so violently set, which blows my mind. And in 38, I was reminded of uh, differences, divisions, cleavage, dispersions, and other concepts. Reminded me of the Tower of Babel, <clears throat> why the one voice had to be split up into many voices, and no one's familiar with that scripture. And in 46, the comparison of the body with the, the edifices of the magnificent churches we see uh, built and standing around the world, perception, um, perception with making the body and behavior perfect 
is the parallel to the beautiful church Ephesus, we hide, uh, which hide the perfect altar. Because that's what we see nowadays out in the world is individuals are very caught up with looking eternally young and being trying to uh, behave with that, whatever the current acceptable behavior is. So, um, and then um, 48 was another one, misuse of will. So, because suffering, the word, when, when pain was there, I wrote suffering underneath it because my experience is suffering can become extremely, extremely intense to where you just you're you're at your total limit. So we're we're very lucky that that is so. So the misuse of will makes suf- makes suffering, and this lets us reconsider and become aware of the inner awareness that leads to the one will, which is actually our will, true will, God, letting truth prevail, and that's a proverbs by connecting one. This, by connecting, by correcting uh, our misperceptions to diminish the suffering, which uh, lets us continue to walk on. When I share, I, I'm sharing what I personally learned, and when I say it out loud, it makes it more real to me. And I'm just so grateful. Nothing has kept me as diligent to return because I have no. Oh, one more thing. Because of this, the order of this reading, which is why I really brought it up, all of a sudden I'm getting up, making my coffee instead of going back to bed. I do the dishes that are sitting in the sink. That's unheard of for me. I'm 80 years old. I'm just starting to do this. And as my coffee's making, I'm, I rise up out of my bed and start picking stuff up off the floor. I've been, had no order my entire life. So... It's almost perfect now. Last night, I had energy in the evening, which is very unreal. But I'm getting up full of energy and straightened everything out. So I, I'm seeing physically this reading transforming things that seem impossible. I am complete and very grateful. Oh, that was just awesome, Donna. Thank you for that share. <clears throat> that reminds me so much of what happens to the mind in Lesson 74, which is there is no will but God's. And when he, he says when we meditate on there is no will but God's, you, you will find yourself filled with spirit, inspired, um, because all fatigue comes from thinking I had a separate will and trying to protect my separate will. So... That was that was a beautiful share, beautiful comment on the experience. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. So yeah, awesome. You words, yes. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Donna. Thank you, Lori, for adding on. This is Jessica. I just want to say that after um, reading this, how could we not accept the atonement? It's like the most incredible, wonderful gift. And, uh, the, you know, what uh, I think Donna was saying about um, a 
about the angels and the souls who came to try to help the separated ones having to be withdrawn because it was too horrible. Um, that's, that's the alternative. That's the possibility, you know, of being in the illusion and accepting the illusion. So accepting the atonement becomes the only rational choice. And I, I feel very, very exuberant, not exuberant, I feel very um, enthusiastic about accepting the atonement and remembering it all the time. At least right now I do. I'm complete. Thank you. Thank you, Jessica. I love that. Thank you, Jessica. Hi, this is Diana. And I really loved that very first paragraph, 36. The atonement is the only defense which cannot be destructive, uh, used destructively. This is because while everyone must join in it, it is not the device which was generated by man. The atonement principle was in fact long before atonement itself began. The principle was loved, and atonement itself was the act of love. I just think that's so beautiful because it was the answer is always love. It all comes down to being, you know, kind, being good, being loving. And this was something that happened even before the separation. It was an act of love that was our our um, our school even before it became a school. I think what we what we see starts with our own mind and what we see is determined by our thoughts. We project what we see and it's our thinking that needs to be in alignment with the atonement. Um, I just I just love that first paragraph. I never thought that way that the atonement is actually an act of love and it came way before the separation in time space. I'm complete. <clears throat> Thank you, Diana. Excellent. Thank you, Diana. That was really a wonderful review, paragraph one. Thank you all for everyone for your share. Just lovely listening today. Thank you, Lori, for your lead this morning. I really got off on that. You know, that not an atom is out of place. And um, this, you know, the reading today, the word neutral really is a buzz. You know, it speaks of the body as being neutral. And everything in the world is being neutral, not having any meaning whatsoever. But we give meaning to everything that we perceive. That, you know, the fall was a, the fall from the one-mindedness of God, where everything was one, that, one and the same and non-differentiated without any differences or degrees. I mean, that's the way it's described. And although we can't wrap our heads around it, it's, put into words sufficiently for me to see in this reading today, you know, how the atonement is the only defense and the perfect defense, and it's a perfect defense if it's used as a total commitment, which is why I brought up your um, opening read today that, 
you know, that I can't judge against anything. And it speaks of this, this, you know, the fall into judgment or the crucifixion um, that we use judgment on behalf, on behalf of separating ourselves, that the fall was the fall into being a perceiver perceiving an object, something other than myself. So I'm looking at something, and that something is other than me. And that was the way it's described in, in the text to me in order for me to understand what the split in my mind actually is. So, you know, there's an inside me, and then there's an outside me, and I'm incomplete because I've left my creator. I've forgotten who I am. I don't know that we're all connected and united in a perfect state of grace. And it's like, oh. And so the whole, you know, using this, the sword of judgment, it's a two-edged sword. And I love this metaphor because it talks about, you know, it being used against us. Whoever was doing this in the beginning, I don't know if I was there or not. <laughs> the strength of the attack, because, you know, they started to use it against each other, and they weren't interested in peace anymore. That, you know, that I have to be at peace with everything, every single atom, and recognize the perfection and that God is in everything in order for me to be totally committed to this idea of atonement. And it's for my completely, complete release from having to, 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 to judge anything and the incredible burden that relieves my mind of having to judge anything at all. I just have to look at it and say, God's in all of that. There's no place where God is not. And it's, you know, this is God's plan for me to, to be awakened, reawakened, to the memory memory of who I am in Him, in order to know and remember this truth about myself, that I have to let go of all these, you know, petty judgments and opinions, and think I know about what something is when, um, you know, I see it in a different color, a different light, different shape, a different size, a different feel. You know, all these differences that we ascribe to things being other than me in our experience of them. So um, to get back into the mind, to the state of grace of the one mind is where that truth is remembered. And, you know, that the sonship itself is a perfect creation. Perfection is not a matter of degree. So it's, it's a total commitment to, to totally accepting that accepting unconditionally and allowing God to be God. This is his creation, his reality, and how it's manifesting. He didn't ask me for my opinion of it, <laughs> God knows, or how to run it, control it, um, you know, and, 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 he, and that loving, unconditional love that accepts and welcomes all of it. It's just, it's all inclusive. It's no exceptions. And um, the way that it talks about that being, the atonement being the, and I'll, and I'll quit with this, the, um, the atonement being the perfect defense, defense, because I don't know where it is in the text, but it describes that. If, if I judge 
and hold any grievance against any of it, I'm holding it not only against God, and but I'm holding it against myself, and I'm holding against holding it against the totality of creation, which is my reality, because I can't pick and choose and slice and dice it according to my preferences and my likes and dislikes. That's where judgments lay down completely. So I'm just loving rereading it again with you guys today, and I'm sorry I love to... Um, I'm not sorry. I'm just glad you've given me a place to share and strengthen these beautiful ideas. I'm complete. Thank you, Judy. That was a great share. Thank you, Judy. I just, um, Karen again, I just wanted to highlight one thing in the in the reading that stood out to me. That um, since the separation, man's defenses have been used almost entirely to defend himself against the atonement and thus maintain the separation. They generally see this as a need to protect the body. The many body fantasies which men's minds are engaged arise from the distorted belief that the body can be used as a means for attaining the quote-unquote atonement. Um, Of course, they use this small, non-capitalized A for that atonement, the body's atonement. Well, that really stood out to me because that's, you know, if you look at our culture, it's like the whole find your find your release, find your salvation, find who you are through the body is so true. Um, it just It just stood out to me because there was a time when I was in a very, very good spiritual place and I got seduced and lured back because I thought I wasn't uh, fully experiencing the human experience because I wasn't, because I wasn't, you know, feeling the body. And it's such a struggle to, to um, give up the senses when you're in the body consciousness of the ego. Anyway, thank you. I'm complete. Thank you, Karen. That was a really great pointer. I mean, it forms the basis of all addiction, if you think about it. Uh, I am complete if I have access to my ego. I'm complete if I have access to my a well and happy body. I'm complete if I have access to my drug of choice. I'm complete if I have access to a special relationship. Um, There's any number of ways (laughs) that ego manages to contrive uh, what it thinks is completion. Even even, um, the ego dream of perfection can become the basis of an addiction in the sense that um, that perfection is used as 
a meter or a measuring device by which ego could use it to measure all other egos. A special relationship with itself, egocentricity. All of those are ways um, the ego contrives to receive or find completion. But this reading is saying there's only one completion possible uh, to find myself. Before the call started this morning, uh, we were talking, Diana and I, about about how first passed through this this reading seems so stark and um, uh, opposite to everything I ever believed and such welcome news that God really does love me. But then on second pass through, there's this thing that happens where I start judging myself. I'm not doing the lessons right. I'm not doing, uh, oh, gee whiz, I was supposed to do it four times today and I only did it three. I must be um, resistant. Um, where the ego starts using course material to judge you, judge me. Um, but that's that's not where it's at either. Um, and so I said, the great news about this course to me is captured in one line. This course is a course about love because it's about you. This is a course about love because it's a course about you. Everybody's looking to find himself, he says. But where you look to find yourself is up to you. The ego thought system would direct me to all sorts of crazy ways of finding completion because the ego itself is a story of lack. It's built for striving and the ego body is part of the same illusion. It's misidentification. doesn't understand the truth of me. And not knowing the truth of me, it fills in that space with all sorts of concepts and beliefs, opinions, ideas, and thoughts. All of them uh, based on an interpretation of lack and the need to strive to find X. The need to find X. This section is the X. <laughs> the missing, the missing thing, thing. The thing that satisfies all striving. The essence of the splendid defense that resolves all confusion. Um, because all confusion is based on a misidentification of self. That's why, oh, it's just so beautiful the way he, he leads us through it. I mean, he starts by talking about uh, defense. Defense um, results as a consequence of fear. And he says at the beginning of this section, whenever I'm fearful, I'm valuing wrongly. I don't know what the missing factor is. I don't know what I want. There's a part of me that does know. The part of me that knows is this altar. This altar within. Um, I was looking through some Urtex material yesterday and I think I think you'll love this as much as I do. But 
early on in this work, he says, um, let me find it because I, I highlighted it somewhere here. Well, in chapter one, he says, no man cometh unto the Father but by me has been very much misunderstood. Um, one of the most misunderstood concepts in the entire Bible. They said it can only be understood in terms of the vertical axis, A-X-I-S, the vertical axis. Um, in relationship to God, I am higher up, but only in time. Only in time. By miracles, that is, correcting our relationship with one another, Miracles induce this same revelation so that we realize there's something within us that's exactly like Christ. He says, as an elder brother, I'm entitled to obedience and, and maybe a bit of devotion if the elder brother is devoted to you and respect because the elder bro brother looks upon you with respect. And then in the earth text, this part's removed from the text, in the earth text, he wrote, you will notice in many of her visions uh, that Helen had, he said, you will notice I have knelt at your altar as readily as I would have you kneel at mine. I have knelt at your altar as readily as you would, I would have you kneel at mine. The point being that this altar to God, it's an altar to God, is the essence of every soul's truth. Everything that God created is holy, and the holiness dwells within. And so he leads us through needing to defend from fear because we're so confused about the world we see outside ourselves. The source of the confusion about the world outside of ourselves is because we're confused about what we already have within. We think there's a world inside. We identify it by our thoughts, opinions, ideas, our concepts, our beliefs. But in point of fact, the only thing within, the only truth, the missing link, the missing factor, the only correction that's so splendid is the essence of this holy altar within. And this holy altar within is identical to all the holy altars everywhere. Why? Because God could not have created anything unlike himself. That's impossible. It's just simply impossible. That's why he says the atomic is a fact. It is a fact. It's a principle. It was love. It came from love. And it's the truth about everything because everything is in the mind of God. And that's all good to know. Um, but what he wants us really to come to understand is that that's not a, another concept, another idea, another belief, but rather it's the essence of truth that leads to a different experience, a different quality of experience, an entirely different direct knowingness of holiness. That's miracles. That's the right mind of the miracle worker. You see? Um, 
boy, I just can't seem to stop talking about this because this is the meat and potatoes, okay? If if there's um, an essential section to understand and and inquire into, Father, help me understand what this gift of atonement is. Help me understand how the atonement is the only gift worthy of the altar because of the inestimable estimable worth of the altar. Have, help, help me have a direct experience of you in my mind, um, which he says is the holy instant. Let me forget everything I know or thought I knew and with open hands tell me the truth. Because we know that this truth um, of atonement is what protects the inner self, which maintain, establishes and maintains and restores, restores the holiness of this altar. The illusion of separation is an illusion of separation because of the atonement. You see? Once the atonement has been accepted by this mind, the mind is now in service of the spirit and as a consequence will be directed in everything. What to do, what to say, what to think, how to experience and how to um, express truth all of which leads to a different experience of this life he says this life is holy oh did you notice did you notice something i did today in the um synopsis or the capsule the little lesson paragraph that goes with i see no neutral things let me look on the world i see as a representation of my own state of mind that's the atonement when the atonement is accepted in this mind it corrects all mistakes all mistakes are looked upon as a mistake where before before i had this understanding i was a striver uh, to achieve perfection on the basis of how i defined perfection that's impossible that's using the ego on an ego guided an ego alien journey this is a journey the ego cannot take because it it makes a lie of the idea of an ego you see um, anyway I don't know what to say next except this this direct experience is the one thing that will change everything it's the perceptual turning point where no longer do I see everything outside me as a threat I realize that I am my mind is the maker of the world that frightens me and when I no longer invest in this world that frightens me but rather invest from the truth of who I am I will have a, a different experience of the world but I'll have a different experience of myself 
I'm no longer experiencing myself as someone who needs to defend an idea, defend a concept, defend a belief, defend an opinion, defend an idea, defend my interpretation. Now I understand that the only defense, the one defense that's absolutely pure and perfect, that corrects all errors immediately, that resolves fear, obliterates it as an idea, is accepting the atonement for myself. It changes everything. It's a total commitment. It aims to protect and protect my inner self by sharing. It is the waking of the inner light. It's um, the center of my life. It restores the wholeness of my mind. It's for everyone. And it is my true will. I didn't know what it was when I experienced life as an ego. So every one of these paragraphs defines the truth of who I am. And when I understand the truth of who I am, I will automatically look to the world for witnesses of the truth that I know. I'll kneel at your altar as readily as you would recognize mine. <laughs> because the altar is the only thing that's true. Holiness is meant to be shared for therein is everything that makes it holy. Um, this is this is the source of all lessons. And if you look at every lesson, uh, you'll discover that in the first half of the workbook, every lesson is directed toward releasing an old idea and replacing it with some aspect of the essential truth of the atonement. I'll no longer be a broadcasting station. You know, mind is a broadcasting station. It's constantly broadcasting what it thinks is the truth. And if I'm doing that from ego, I'll, I'll recognize other egos. But if I'm allowing spirit to broadcast through me, I'll see only spirit. And so the point of all these lessons is to understand that truth comes from an inner light, a holy altar to truth. And um, everything in the workbook is directed toward an experience of that. The experiential difference I try to articulate in words, and it's, it's not articulate, you can't put it into words, but it's like this to me. In my life, I have lots of photo albums. I'm sure you have photo albums. And when you open a photo album, you look at pictures, and, you, and you, each picture reminds you of something. You took the picture because you wanted to recall or remember something. Right? So ego mind works like a camera, picking out the things that it recognizes as separate and different, yet somehow attractive. But the truth of me enters into that experience when I know what I am and there's something that I love. It's altogether different. It's not an idea. It's love. It's an energy. It's an exchange. 
the experience of taking the picture is that experience that moved your heart to pick up the camera. It's not the snapshot in the end. It's that moving experience of the power of God through the heart because that's where he speaks to us. Um, I could talk about it forever, but I'm complete now. Thank you. Thank you for letting me share all that. Thank you, Lori. Thank you. It was beyond even being able to say anything. Thank you. You know, a lot of good books that you read, um, a lot of good books that I read um, <laughs> have a have a bibliography or an annotated reference. You know, if you want more about this, go go look at this. You know what I mean? And, and so I do that every morning. Uh, I run a little survey in my mind of where else does he talk about this? Well, in this case, <laughs> I couldn't finish running the little end of the survey because he talks about this in the whole book. Um, but in practice, um, to understand the goal that we're that we're looking for in practice, a really good annotated bibliography of this section would direct you to chapter eleven, sections four and eight. Um, so if you wanted to do outside homework, <laughs> uh, chapter 11, sections 4 and 8 are really excellent. I asked Spirit this morning how to talk about, how to talk about all of this. And the answer was, Lori, you're talking to yourself. You're talking to yourself. And we are all talking to our capitalist self. You know, um, that's how the truth works. But today I was directed to close the call in two places. The first one is from chapter 30, or chapter 1. Uh, paragraph 30 or Miracle Principle 26. Miracles represent freedom from fear. Freedom from fear. Atoning really means undoing. The undoing of fear is an essential part of the atonement value of miracles. The purpose of atonement is to restore everything to you, or rather restore it to your awareness. You were given everything when you were created, just as everyone was. When you have been restored to the recognition of your original state, 
you naturally become part of the atonement yourself. As you share my inability to tolerate lack of love in yourself and others, you must join the great crusade to correct it. The slogan for the crusade is, listen, learn, and do. Listen to my voice. Learn to undo error and do something to correct it. The first two are not enough. The real members of my party are active workers. And add that to this from chapter 5. My part in the atonement is not complete until you join it and give it away. As you teach, so shall you learn. I will never leave you or forsake you because to forsake you would be to forsake myself and God who created me. You will forsake yourselves and God if you forsake any of your brothers. You are more than your brother's keeper. In fact, you do not want to keep him. You must learn to see him as he is at this altar and know that he belongs to God as you do. How could you treat your brother better than by rendering unto God the things which are God's? Amen. Thank you. Thank you, self. <laughs> it's a beautiful call. Beautiful reading today. Very grateful. Thank you, Lori, for your share. Thank you.